everyone, and welcome to another sermon in our sermon series on the book of Genesis. My name is Dan Forrest, and today we'll be looking at Genesis 9 to 11. Last week, Jonathan Chan preached on Genesis 6 to 9, and there was a lot to unpack there. So I'm overlapping a bit with him and looking at the last bit of chapter 9. I've titled this sermon, How to Not Make Your Name Great. And you hear that expression these days, I, I want to make a name for myself, or you have to make a name for yourself. And it has really nothing to do with coming up with a new name, like a friend of mine told us that he wanted us to call him Scooter from now on, and he wanted his new name to be Scooter. Well, it didn't work out, and no one calls him Scooter to this day. <laughs> okay. No, the expression has to do with building a reputation, being successful in the world so people know your name. And so they know who you are. Someone in our day who is doing everything in his power to make his name great is Donald J. Trump. Back in the day, everyone knew who Trump was. And now that he's president, we hear about him all the time. And I have to be honest, I am so happy that in a couple months, we don't have to hear about Trump anymore. Well, unfortunately, though, he clearly lost this election, but Trump just won't give up and leave the office peacefully. And this isn't the first time that he overstayed his welcome. Take a look at this video clip we have for you today. Watch it, kid. There we go. You can stay up. Sir, sir, we have to get going. What? We have to get going, sir. I don't want to go. I know, but it's time to go. I don't want to go. It's time to go. I don't want to go. Sir, it's time to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I know you're having fun, but it's time to go. Let's go. Give the ball to someone else. Give the ball to someone else. Give the ball to someone else. Mr. President, give the ball to someone else. Give it to someone else. Give it to someone else. Here. Don't do that. Here you go. Thank you. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We have to talk to the president of Argentina. Let's go. Okay, so obviously that's not really Donald Trump, but doesn't it just reflect his character so well? I believe that Trump cares more about making his name great than anything else, and yet his name is so tarnished. He's a laughingstock around the world. Trump is a great example of how not to make your name great. Well, in Genesis 9 to 11, we see other examples as well. So let's take a look at the text for today. Last week, Jonathan preached on the story of Noah and the ark. And that story ends with an amazing blessing on Noah and his family and a renewal of the covenant between God and humanity and all life on earth. It's marked by a beautiful rainbow in the sky. But after this majestic scene, the story takes this weird turn and Jonathan really didn't want to deal with it, so he passed it on to me. And here we go. In chapter 9, it says that Noah planted a vineyard, got drunk, and laid uncovered in his tent. Then his son Ham came and saw his dad and went to tell his brothers what he'd seen. So they take their garment, they wrap it on their shoulders, they back into the tent, and they cover up their naked dad. Okay, so the weird thing about this story is, it seems like Noah is the one who screwed up and did something wrong. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when Noah woke up and found out what Ham had done, he cursed Ham. Well, actually, he cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Reading this story, I can't actually see what Ham did wrong. 
But apparently he did something wrong, and his son Canaan got cursed for whatever he did. There's no clear answer what Ham did wrong, so scholars have speculated what it could be. Perhaps it was some sort of perverse voyeurism, or something sexual in nature, or just that it was shameful that he didn't cover him but instead told his brothers about it. I don't know. No one really knows, and I'm not going to spend much time on this story. But I will say why I think this story is even in here. This story is telling the readers why the name of Canaan is not great. Genesis was most likely written for the Israelites after the Exodus as they were traveling on their way to invade the promised land for God, which was the land of Canaan. Israel's primary enemies at that time were the Canaanites. And this story was the beginning of many stories that explained why the Canaanites were cursed and why God wanted to take the land from them and give it to his people, the Israelites. So it's clear in Genesis and in the Bible that your name is important and how your name is perceived is important. This is made even more clear when we see the great number of genealogies in the Bible. Genealogies make reading the Bible very difficult because There are so many of them, and they're so frequent in the Bible. No one wants to read a thrilling story and have it bogged down with a long list of names. But that's what the Bible does. And believe it or not, it does it for a reason. We need to understand a few things about genealogies in the Bible to really appreciate them. For starters, we need to realize that they're not the same as our family trees. In our culture, we tend to focus on... Uh, very exact and precise names, with every name listed, with every name connected. But in the Bible, oftentimes names are left off, or they might be in the wrong order, or they might even skip a few generations. And it's always just the guys' names. Rarely are there female names on these lists. So don't look at the genealogies to get an accurate picture of history or of time. Instead, pay attention to their placement in the narrative. Ask yourself, why is this list of names put here in this place? In Genesis, each genealogy serves as a transition point from one major story or group of stories to the next. And oftentimes they transition with their words and with the the people to show you what's going to happen next. Also, pay attention to how the names of the groups are grouped together. What's the order? Who is mentioned? Take Genesis 10.15, for example. While this grouping of names may seem boring and unimportant to us, this list of names was important in Israel's history, and those names are repeated often. As you read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you see this over and over again. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, just says it over and over again because these people are constant threats to Israel. Well, also, finally... Pay attention to the little notes and comments from the author. In Genesis 10, there are a few common notes that keep coming up in the genealogy. You can see here how the author repeats how the people are spread out, scattered, divided, and how they're divided by territories, clans, nations, and language. He's repeating all these things because they play directly into the next story in chapter 11, where we'll be spending most of our time today. Genesis 10, 32 concludes the genealogy section with this verse. 
These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And next we read in Genesis 11, 1-2, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Okay, so what's happening here? Genesis 10 ends with everyone spread out with different languages, but Genesis 11 starts with everyone together with one language. There are two theories about what could be happening here. One is that the story in Genesis 11 is not literally everyone in the world, but just one people group who went eastward and settled in Shinar. Well, personally, I don't believe that this is the case. I believe the second theory, which is that the author is going back in time to tell us what caused all the nations and clans and languages to be divided. And it happened here in Shinar, which would be in the country of Iraq today. So let's read what happens there. Genesis 11, 3-4 They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. In many ways, this sounds like a good thing. The world is united. They're working together for a common purpose. They're excelling in the field of engineering, and that is incredible. But there are two problems with this scenario. The first is their dream is to make a name for themselves and not for God. They don't want to elevate God. They want to be equals with God or even rivals with God. And the second problem is, They don't want to scatter over the earth, even though that was what God first commanded them to do, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill this earth. They don't want to spread out, they want to settle. And so they begin construction on a great tower. Now this is a classic depiction of that tower. Oh, sorry, (laughs) that's not the right picture. Well, actually when you think about it, Trump is exactly the same as these people. First, he does try to make his name great by putting it on tall towers like this one. But also, Trump doesn't want to go. He does whatever he wants to do, whatever he wants to do, and he doesn't let anyone tell him otherwise. In Trump's mind, there is no name greater than Trump and no one can tell Trump what to do. He's going to stay and do what he wants. Well, let's go back to the tower in our story. This is how it is classically depicted. It's a pretty cool looking structure, but the tower was actually more like a ziggurat and not a tower like this one. This is a ziggurat of Mesopotamia, still standing after all these years. Unfortunately, the top part has been quite eroded, so we have a computer-generated rendition of what the ziggurat would have originally looked like. The significance of this tower was not in its engineering or architecture, which were impressive for the time, but rather the significance was in its spiritual power. The purpose of these structures was to make contact with the heavens, to provide a dwelling place for the gods so they could be manipulated to bless their worshippers. This was called a Babel, which in Babylon meant a gate of the gods. But this story in Genesis counters the Babylonian creation story because the Hebrew God responds differently to this tower than the Babylonian gods would have. Verse 5 says, 
But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the whole face, the face of the whole earth. Babel originally meant gate of the gods, but in the Hebrew language, Babel means confusion. And that is what happens when we try to make our name great on our own and seek independence from God. The people wanted to remain in one place in arrogance and pride against God, but God scattered them in judgment confusing their language, and separating them around the world. God wanted his people to set out and bless the whole world, but instead they tried to settle in one place. God's ultimate plan was never to fracture his people. His dream is humanity united in the mission of glorifying God and blessing the whole earth. But the people are stubborn, and they have to be forced to go out, and they become fractured as a result. But as we've seen so often in the book of Genesis, even though there is judgment, there is an abundance of grace. Notice that God doesn't smite these people down from the heavens, but the text says that God came down. Think of the humility in that action. The Lord God came down from heaven to be on our level to help us fulfill the mission that God had called us to. And as we keep reading, we see that God has not abandoned humanity, but will call one family to step up and through them bring unity and shalom back to the world. Chapter 11 ends with another genealogy that leads us to the family of Abram and his wife Sarai. And I know my sermon boundaries end with chapter 11, but I'm sorry, Jonathan, I need to jump a little into your sermon for next week and look at a few verses from chapter 12. I hope that's okay. In chapter 12, we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Notice the parallels between the story of Babel and Abram. The people say, let us build for ourselves a city. But God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. The people say, so that we may make a name for ourselves. God says, I will make your name great. The people say, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But God says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. At the Tower of Babel, the people are selfish and try to make a name for themselves on their own effort. But with Abram, God is the one who will make him into a great nation. God is the one who will make his name great. And as a result, the family of Abram will bless all peoples on earth. If you want to make a name for yourself, if you want to make your name great, 
The way to do that is to not do that. <laughs> we cannot make our own name great because God is the only one who makes our name great. And he can only do that when we humble ourselves and obey what he has called us to do. Abraham is obedient to God's call to a certain extent, and God blesses him. But Abraham's obedience and the obedience of his descendants is it's not fully perfect. Until a son was born in the line of Abraham many years later, and that son was Jesus. Once again, God came down to help fulfill the mission that he called us to in the first place. And Jesus was fully obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross. And by his death and resurrection, unity and shalom and blessing are finally being restored on earth again. After his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples to wait for him in Jerusalem, where he would send the Holy Spirit and baptize them. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfills his promise and reverses the effect of the Tower of Babel. As the disciples were praying, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit enabled them. They spilled out onto the streets, worshiping God, and all the foreigners in the city who were there for the festival heard their own languages being spoken and asked what was going on. So Peter took this opportunity to preach the good news of the resurrected Jesus for the first time, and thousands joined the movement on that day. And those thousands began to spread out into the known world with the message and blessings of Jesus Christ. At the Tower of Babel, God scattered the people in judgment. At Pentecost, God scatters the people with blessing. Genesis 11 ends with foreshadowing for the next section in our journey through Genesis. Verse 30 reads, Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur to the... Uh, Together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So as we can see here, Sarai is unable to conceive. So how can the family name go on and be great? Abram's nephew Lot is mentioned. What part will he play in all of this? And finally, the family sets out from Ur to go to Canaan. But they get sidetracked in Haran and settle there. Instead of setting out, they settle. All these things are foreshadowing what's going to happen next week in Jonathan's sermon and in sermons coming up in the next few weeks. Last week, Jonathan talked about how our vision of the future is what drives us forward. And for the Hebrews, that vision was the promised land. Well, for us today, the vision that we aim for is shalom and rest fully restored as it was in the garden. It's spoken of throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Revelation, in one aspect of that shalom, we read in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is our goal. This is where we are headed, to be united in harmony with people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. That reality seems far off from our current state of affairs, 
But God has blessed us with the opportunity to join him in reconciling and restoring these broken relationships. We today come from a wide variety of nations, cultures, and languages, and we are a testimony that the Spirit is still at work in the world today, blessing us and blessing those around us. Today, we need to make a choice. Are we going to step out in faith accept God's blessing, and bless others regardless of their ethnicity, gender, economic status, age, religion, on and on and on? Or are we going to close our fists? Are we going to settle here in our church group and keep the blessings to ourselves? Are we going to keep our faith and our stories hidden in our hearts and in our homes? Or are we going to open our hands to receive the Holy Spirit and go out and share the good news of Jesus with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. What about with those that we hardly know? Are we willing to set out to bless others with our words and with our actions? By the life of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to make real change in this world. Today, may you be encouraged and empowered to step out of your comfort zone, to step down from your high towers, and to share God's blessing with others. Amen. So once again, here are some reflection questions to consider before we meet again on Sunday morning. Uh, Take a look at these questions. Take some time to answer them for yourselves and pray and consider what, what God may be speaking to you through the sermon or through this passage. So the first question that I have is, what questions came up for you from the sermon or from reading Genesis 9 to 11? Obviously, I only have, uh, you know, 30 minutes or less to preach these sermons, and I'm not going to get into everything in Genesis 9 to 11, but is there something in there that maybe you have a question about that I didn't get to, or maybe there's something in my sermon that wasn't clear? Would love to hear what your questions might be. Now, my second reflection question, in what ways are you settling rather than setting out? And follow-up question, why do we settle in the first place? You know, as we see in that story, people uh, at the Tower of Babel wanted to settle. They wanted to do their own thing. They didn't want to go out and follow God's will. So what are the ways that you are in your own life right now, maybe settling and not setting out? And in general, not just you, but why in general do we as humans settle? What are the factors that lead us to not want to go out? And the third question is, how can God use you to bless others in your unique setting and people group? I should say that in this uh, sermon and many other passages in the Bible, it talks about God sending people out. But for the most part, God has placed you where you are for a specific reason and purpose. And uh, I don't believe that really we should go out and just go anywhere until we feel like God is calling us to go other places. So sometimes we should be settling in the same spot that we are in because God has placed us there for a reason. So my question is, how... Can God use you? How is God using you to bless others in your unique setting and among your people group, among the people that you encounter in your life, at work, uh, around your neighborhood, and your families? So those are my three questions to consider for Sunday. Look forward to gathering together with you to worship and pray and, and discuss these things. Blessings as you prepare for this Sunday.